And so uh, I want to go ahead and now introduce my friend, Eric Porter. Eric is a longtime friend of, of Trilogy. He was the first missionary we ever had speak to our church way back in the early stages. And you're still muted, Eric. You can unmute yourself if you want so we can hear you, woo-woo. Um, but uh, there we go. Although you have to make the noise. See, if you just oh, mouth no. it, yeah. Uh, but yeah, he was the first missionary we ever had in because he lines up so well with our values as a church and the things that we hold important. And so we've had him back several times. And yet I know that there are some of you who are more recent additions to Trilogy who have not yet heard Eric, uh, have not yet heard uh, his heart uh, for a very specific segment of our population that needs to know the love of Jesus and needs to know love in general. And so I'm going to just turn it over to, to Eric without stealing any more of his thunder and let him uh, share what God has placed on his heart for us today. Eric, welcome. Glad to have you back at Trilogy. Yeah, it is such an honor to be back with you, uh, Pastor Jeff. You've always been a, a good friend. Uh, our families are friends and hang out from time to time, which is quite comical, guys, because uh, we have a lot of kids. He has a lot of kids, and it's like uh, a whole zip code population uh, when we get together. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> I think um, what I get to travel around and see all these pastors in action. And, and, um, when, when you find those that are, um, amazing men of God who, who take care of their wives and take care of their families and actually, you know, do a great job at the church, they're rare. And I just want to make sure this congregation knows that you have one of the best as a, your lead pastor. Uh, and that's coming from a guy who gets to see the different uh, ones right there. And I can't always say that, you know what I'm saying, guys, <laughs> but I am saying it for this, for him. Like he's, he's a great man of God, a great friend, great pastor. So uh, Pastor Jeff, thanks for having me again to come hang out with your crew. Always love, I hate it. I can't drive across DFW, uh, you know, and, and see you guys face to face. My kids were all asking about it because all the last times I've spoke, we've all piled in a van and crisscrossed DFW and come hung out, but they're all like, oh. they couldn't get their heads around it. They're like, wait, so you're, you're speaking at our house to, to their church. And they're like, and I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, okay. You know, <laughs> so um, man, but I'll, I'll take what we can get during this crazy season that we're in right here. Um, I think um, I, I just want to thank you guys too, for supporting us. You're, you're one of the uh, first churches that started supporting us on a monthly basis as missionaries uh, to help us do what God's called us to do. And so we're going to unpack that. You know, I was our story began um, in Missouri, Springfield, Missouri. I was actually had the honor of being Pastor Jordan's uh, uh, junior high pastor back in the day. Uh, so we got to um, hang out with him and get to know the family uh, many, many years ago. Back in 2002, uh, we started that journey and got to know the the Kosak family and all of them. And um, and and while I was on staff there at James River, guys, something started happening. We I started making a lot of phone calls to the child abuse hotline. You see, there were a lot of children from our community who were attending our church, uh, trying to find you know health and healing from 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 God, uh, but they were being abused, uh, abandoned, or neglected by their own family. Um, <clears throat> I started making phone calls about children who were being beaten with a cane uh, because they didn't make straight A's, uh, kids being put in the dryers. Uh, and turned on for discipline reasons, cigarette butts being put out on their arms or, or being whipped with electric cords. And, and uh, as a pastor, a local pastor, my heart started breaking. I was like, I don't understand this. As a dad, I didn't understand why uh, a father would, would beat his own uh, child, you know, for these things, uh, you know, and, and my heart broke as a dad, my heart started breaking as a pastor. I'm thinking, 
Why am I handing off a child who is hurting to the government for healing? I feel like that's God's job through the church. And so I didn't understand how we were supposed to uh, be the church to these kids. Um, in that journey of researching and praying, uh, you know, uh, we were having a challenge having child number four. Um, and uh, we prayed, fasted, and felt like God wanted us to, to adopt. And so we got the paperwork to foster to adopt, and we got the paperwork to maybe private adoption out of Hot Springs, Arkansas. And and um, at the end of uh, the fast on a Thursday, my wife thought it'd be fun and take a pregnancy test. And surprise, uh, child number four uh, started to get into our world. And so the personal side of the journey paused. Uh, but two years ago, November Seventeenth, uh, guys. We we added to our crew. We're trying to keep up with the Cossacks here in a non-traditional way. So this is our family right here. I don't know if you can see them right there. Uh, uh, we have four biological kiddos, and we have two adopted kiddos. I'll let you figure out which ones are which there. And uh, our two kiddos were in foster care right here in DFW, and um, they've been in our house for a little over two years now. Um, you know, I would always say when I was with you guys before we adopted, uh, fostering and adopting is one of the most challenging, difficult things you'll ever do. And it's true. <laughs> it's hard. Uh, it's not easy. It's 24 seven discipleship in your living room, uh, trying to manage trauma and pain and hurt that, uh, was outside of your control, uh, hurt and pain that the child did not sign up for but we signed up to help them find Jesus and to find a God that loves them unconditionally to find them a God that wants to help them and heal them and change their legacy as well. Our kiddos are two of 11 uh, kiddos. And so um, it's been an honor to introduce them to different weddings, uh, different family events, different cousins who love the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and that's part of the story here uh, that we hope churches around the nation uh, do so. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go into being production guy here for a second. Okay, guys. So you have to forgive me. You know, usually the speaker isn't also doing the the PowerPoint or keynote slides. So this is the fun world of Zoom. So if you'll bear with me while I share a, a, a slide or two, uh, here we go. All right. Can you guys see that right there? Wonderful. You guys have been supporting us for for years, and I just want you to know where your where your support is going. You know, over the last uh, eight years now, the God, the God has helped us to fully equip. Now we've engaged hundreds of churches, but we've fully trained and launched over fifty churches with a foster care and adoption and support ministry, where where they were recruiting foster families from the pulpit, adopted families from the pulpit, and then like a circle of support that we call it, where there's a prayer team, a meals team, uh, maybe a resource team for, for families that when they sign up, they say, yeah, we want to be the front lines of a local church missionary. That's what we see. You know, you got you got the missionaries that, that Pastor Jeff is, is talking about around the world and, and basically our world and, and these foster adoption families are your local missionaries. They're, they're signing up and saying, hey, we want to go where, where the, it's the darkest. We want to go where there's the most pain, the most hurt. Uh, and we want to open our home uh, to be a light in the darkness for kids who maybe have no hope. We want to be a voice for those that have no voice. We want to speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. And, and so these churches uh, build the support system because it's one of the hardest things they, these families do. And they, and in fact, here's a statistic, guys, that 50% uh, of the families that sign up, that go through uh, 40 hours of training, a lot of paperwork, 
50% of those families that get licensed to foster adopt quit after the first year, 50%. And then after the second year, another 50% quit. And so all the smart people doing all the studies saying, why, why are these families quitting when they've done all this work? And some of them feel like God told them to do it is because they don't have a support system. That's it. A support system. So we're seeing 50% retention go up to 80 and 90% retention when a church puts a support system in their church to wrap around those families. So that's what that first one represents there, equipping those churches to do that. And through that model, guys, we've seen 700. I need to change that because now we're about to surpass 800 kids who have found homes because there's churches like you who are praying for missionaries like us. There's churches like you that are financially supporting us. And we could not do this without partnership with churches like you guys. All those children are being impacted because of your giving of your prayers, giving of your finances. We've been able to engage government leaderships in five states. Guys, that blows me away. I'm just a little youth pastor, you know, that God is pushing into the state capitals of different states, meeting with child welfare directors and saying, hey, you know, I there's thousands of churches in your backyard. You need families. The church has families. What if we join our hands together and help these kids? That's what's happening with that. In our county, we live in Ellis County, just south of Dallas. We live in Ellis County. Guys, this is so miraculous. We saw 90 days where no child was waiting for an adoption in our county. That's, that's the vision. Our ministry is called Backyard Orphans. We see a day where there would be more families waiting on children than children waiting on families. That's the vision. And as you're hearing, we do that by working with pastors like your pastor, lead pastors around the nation, church ministry leaders. And in that, in our own county, across denominational lines, Baptist, Methodist, non-denoms, Assemblies of God, all joining their hands together, we saw 90 days with no child waiting. Our own church down here, the Oaks and Red Oak, uh, we've seen in two years, 133 kids fostered and 20 adopted. Guys, I just want you to see where your prayer support uh, is going. <clears throat> On our journey, here's what happened. I didn't realize all the 140 million uh, orphans in the world. I didn't know about the 400,000 kids in U.S. foster care. And of those kids, that there are over 100,000 ready for adoption today. Their parents' rights have been, have been terminated, and they just need a mommy and a daddy for the holidays. That's what this number represents. And, I, and God showed me these numbers, and I was like, God, I don't, this, this number is so huge. It's, I don't even know how to handle this. And how, what are you doing when you called us out of the local church after 12 years of local ministry to become missionaries to do what? Help these kids? What's the solution? And God said, I got you. I got you, Eric. There's 350,000 churches in the U.S. Do you see the, it's problem solvable. If every church got one or two families to foster adopt, there'd be no child waiting for a home. Problem solvable. Right here in the big old state of Texas, everything's bigger, right? We, we lead the nation, California, New York, and Texas. Uh, we have 31,000, over 31,000 kids in Texas foster care. Of those, 4,000 today need a, a forever home, a forever home. Again, the good news is 27,000 churches. We got it. If every church would do what your church is doing and get involved and get this message to the congregation, there'd be no child waiting. I'm going to jump in here, guys. If you have an app uh, or uh, some sort of, um, you know, a, 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 one of those paper Bibles. I don't know if you guys remember those paper things right there. I think I have a few uh, gathering dust on my on there, but I I use the app a lot. So if you have a, an app on your phone or something like that, please pull up James 1.27. I'm going to clear the screen 
uh, here for this segment so you guys can uh, um, maybe see a, um, I, don't, I don't know if you want to see my face, but um, I think that's what we'll do. Uh, James 127, uh, please look at that. Uh, we're going to unpack that for the next few uh, minutes here. Guys, I, when I was getting into this, I didn't know um, so much of what I didn't know. I, I, I had a very uh, small fraction of what the Bible uh, talks about when it comes to uh, foster adoption or orphan care. There's, and I found there's over 30 scriptures in the word of God that actually point to the orphan, the fatherless, uh, <clears throat> the, the, the sojourner, you know, the, those that need us to speak up. And, um, and, and it's very clear in scripture, and you're going to see this, this is a biblical mandate. One of the painful truths I had to come to grips with was for being a youth pastor for 12 years, we weren't biblically mandated, meaning a requirement. We weren't required as the local church to have a youth pastor. That hurt because I was a youth pastor and I love being in youth ministry. And I thought I was going to be a lifetimer, right? Um, but we're biblically mandated to care for orphans. And I think you're going to see that here in this text. So follow along with me. In the beginning here, you'll see it says religion that God our Father. Let's just pause right there and, and unpack that section. Religion that God our Father accepts. The gospel of Jesus Christ is right there in the beginning. Look at the word father, okay? The author is, is using the word father. He could use any uh, term for to describe God at that moment. He could have said the potter. <clears throat> he could have said the cosmic creator of the universe, right? But he didn't. He used the most relational term in all of scripture, Abba in the Greek, which means daddy. Like just that picture already, I lost some of you guys, right? Some of us in this on this Zoom and this church service here don't have the best impression of what daddy really means. Um, and it's hard for us to even think about God as our daddy. And then it's hard to definitely think about us being a mom or a dad to a child who hasn't had a good mom or dad. But the core of this starts at the gospel of us coming to grips with the fact that we have a daddy that loves us who adopted us when we were unadoptable, who saw our trauma, who saw our pain and looked past all of our shortcomings and all of our sin and wanted to embrace us as a child, as a son and as a daughter. He wants to call us son. He wants to call us daughter. Right there is the, is the gospel. It's what happened on the cross when he gave his son Jesus into this world to die on the cross. It was for that vertical part of the adoption that, that we would receive that love from heaven to ourselves and be adopted into uh, sonship or as daughters. And then when you, when you look at that and you come to grips with the father, then you see it says religion. That word religion is now talking about the horizontal part of the cross. How do we live out this adoption that we've received? It's not for us to keep. Listen, I think, I think one of the problems in America uh, that's, that's kept the church from being involved in, in domestic orphan care is we don't want to be uncomfortable. We got this love that we've received, and life's hard. Man, good night. We're in COVID, guys. It's a pandemic. Life's hard. It's hard. And, and you think, why on earth would, would we, like, I'm trying to protect and, and take care of my own family. Why would I open up my home? during a pandemic to, to another child who has, could have COVID because that's what God called us to. 
God called the church to do hard things. He called us that when we're back down, when we're pressed, when we're being pushed in a corner, to come out spiritually swinging and to show the world what a light in the darkness really means. Then even in a hard situation, even when we don't feel like we have enough money to put another food you know, plate on the table or another bed in our, in our house, that the church rises up and does hard things, even when it doesn't feel good. That's the gospel, not some American gospel that says, oh, I can't, I, 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 you know, I, it's too hard. Let me tell you what's hard. What these kids have gone through, uh, guys, we had a child in DFW, a newborn baby child found in a dumpster, left for dead. I couldn't believe it. It started hitting the news. It was all over. Some friends and I were talking and I, I couldn't believe that somebody would leave a brand new baby, infant, uh, newborn in a dumpster left for dead. Child welfare, by the grace of God, was called right away by this local business, this local business called Child Welfare. Child Welfare got a hold of this child. <clears throat> they, they, they meet and look for a family. And in the sovereignty of the Lord, a family at our church was chosen. And can you pause right there? You, you see how the ministry that God has called us to is working? There's a church ready. There's a family ready and waiting for, for a child to be brought into their home. The family said yes to foster this child. Obviously, with the situation, the mom was not able to get her life in order. So the child went out for adoption. That family adopted that child. And three or four years later, right now, that child is thriving in a godly home right here in the Metroplex because a church and a family understood what it meant to say yes to hard things, to say yes to not being called to comfort, but to being called the spiritual combat, because that's what living out religion uh, that God sees as pure and faultless looks like. And that's what it says in the next section right here, as we keep moving past uh, the gospel part of this. If you go on, it says that he that accepts as pure and faultless, talks about motive, pure and faultless. Why are we doing this? Why did that family say yes? Listen, I'll tell you my motive, guys. I got angry, right? As a pastor, you heard my story. I was angry. I was like, there's righteous indignation inside of me going, oh, why does the church do something? The church needs to step up and to speak up and to, and to do something for these kids. And there's anger. There's anger as a dad. That's not pure, pure motive, anger. Uh, you might have it. And if you don't have it, we need to talk because every believer should get riled up a little bit when you hear of kids being left for dead in a dumpster. That should, that should cause some anger inside of you, some healthy anger. It could be because of fear, a motive of fear, that if we, the church, don't step up for these kids, who, who will? And those other groups are going to be stepping up. Now, that's a real fear, and that's a real thing happening. Uh, it could be pain that maybe you yourself were abused or abandoned, neglected, or there's been miscarriages or different things going on, and, and pain is pushing you to, to listen to this conversation today. Listen, those aren't pure motives. God wants us to have pure religion. And so we got to get closer to what is pure religion. So I took one step closer and got past, I didn't get past, I reframed the, the anger, right? And I, I thought maybe it's about the child. Listen, guys, we had our first foster care, foster care placement about six years ago. And when, when that child was, was ripped from his little family, he was a three and a half year old, um, he saw all the adults in his world, child welfare, and us as a foster family, not as rescuers, but as the enemy. And when he was walked into our home uh, crying, holding himself in the doorway, 
big alligator tears, wailing. We were not the saviors. We were the enemy. And if I put my hope in the child, when that child walked into the door, our hope walked out the door. Our pure religion is not even, it's, it's not even about the child, guys. Yes, we want to help those children. Pure religion is at the cross. That's what it's about. It has to be, this conversation today has to be about the cross. It has to be about living out this religion that we've received so freely, this adoption that we've received so freely. That is what pure and faultless religion looks like. And then in the scripture, it says to look after, to look after. That little phrase in the Greek means this picture, and I can't do it as well on the Zoom, right? But it means to drop down on a knee, right? I'm dropping down on a knee right here, right? It means to drop down on a knee, to look eye to eye and to invite them into our world or us walk into their world. It's not from this stately position of going, oh, let us have pity on you and go help you. That's not what look after means. Look after means that we literally go into their chaos or bring them their chaos into ours, okay? To look after doesn't just mean writing the $50 check a month. That's part of the solution. You're gonna see that here in a second writing checks to help orphan care things and, and sponsoring a kid. That's part of it. But guys, that's entry level orphan care, entry level. Uh, to look after means to go all the way deep where we open up our homes. And I know, listen, let's take, let's pause for a second. I understand not everybody on this, on this Zoom here can foster it up. Okay. Everybody just go, whoo, let's take a deep breath. Cause I thought he was about to say the Bible tells everybody to foster dog. Oh no, 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 no. Listen guys, I've been in full-time ministry for 20 years. I understand that not every adult should reproduce. Amen. I usually get a laugh there and it's really tricky because I can't see your faces. So <laughs> not every adult should reproduce. Not every adult should be a foster dog parent, but everybody's mandated to do something. So then the question is, what's your something? What, what something are you going to do? So let's just keep going there. It says orphans and widows. Now this is where this is where the government. Um, I kind of lose the government sometimes because it starts to be churchy language, orphans and widows, you know, in that passage. Because they would say more like foster care, you know, or kinship care, which is like a a relative placement in foster care. And so we kind of joke with the governments, like you guys use your government language. You guys they could talk like thirty minutes with acronyms. And I would not have a clue what they're saying. And they know everything they just said. Okay. So they have, they have government language and we have churchy language. Right. So, um, so let me, let me help you with this. Okay. I'm not just referring to the biblical, I'm sorry, the, the Webster definition, right. Where it's like a literal orphan and widow. Okay. Cause that little boy that was found in the dumpster, um, understand he wasn't an orphan. His mom is still alive. So, uh, true Webster's definition means their parents are deceased. I understand. But I promise you, that little boy felt orphaned. Did you catch that? He felt orphaned. And all 400,000 kids in U.S. foster care, all 31,000 kids in Texas foster care feel orphaned, abandoned, um, many abused because of what's been going on around them. So what I believe the scripture is motivating the church and moving the church here is to say, guys, we don't want anybody to feel orphaned. God says, I don't want anyone to be left as orphans. That's the children. That's the adults. That's everybody. <clears throat> so, so we look at that to look uh, the orphan and widow. Then it says in their distress, in their distress, what's the pain? What's, what's really going on? So when we, when we do step into their chaos or we invite them into our world and we start like, 
actually asking them, what's your pain point? What is going on? Guys, every state my team goes into, you know what the problem is in every state? There's not enough homes. There's not enough homes. That's the distress. Kids are sleeping overnight in child welfare. I just got a call this week during Thanksgiving for uh, in the Houston area. They are scrambling for the holidays to try to find homes. Now, these are more extreme situations. So it, it's always choose your own adventure in foster care, right? If you if you can't handle the, the big situations, it's okay, you know, um, but find the child who has moderate or low, <clears throat> excuse me, behavioral situations. <clears throat> there are, you know, higher behavioral situations and you get to choose, like you choose, <clears throat> excuse me, what God is wanting you uh, and calling your family to do. We had other, we had kids in our home. We couldn't do the extreme situations. We couldn't uh, risk uh, abusing our kids trying to help somebody else's kids, right? And so we had to take more moderate uh, behavioral situations. But some empty nesters or some people who are a single parent or a mom and dad that without kids, you can take more difficult situations. And so they were calling us saying, are there any churches that have facilities in Houston to take in some of these kids through the holidays because COVID and all these things are shutting down some of these facilities and they need homes. Oh, I was having that phone call while I was traveling to visit family over Thanksgiving and it was breaking my heart. That was the distress. We need homes. We need beds for kids, not a hotel room, not, not a continental breakfast in a bed, but the love of God. Parents who will pray for these children, who will love them unconditionally and show them a love that maybe that parent has never even received. It's very stretching. That's the distress. It goes on to say to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Guys, there's so much pollution going on with this conversation. What, what are the pollutions? I think one of the things is, is the pollution that, you know, like 80 years ago, when, when foster care was created, it's not even that new of a system, guys. Um, the church was doing her job. The church cared for orphans. The, the church was so neighborly. They saw something going on to their neighbor next door who went through a divorce, who's going through a hard time. They said, hey, let us, let us, you know, come let your kids hang over here and, and let's prevent them, prevent them from going, you know, from being removed or something. And then all of a sudden this governmental foster care thing was created. And we just said, here, government, go take care of our kids. Here, government, go take care of God's children. And I think one of the pollutions is the, the church just said, no, it's the church, it's the government's job. It's not. The government needs to be safety and protection. The government needs to be the law, but they're not family. And that's what these kids need. They don't just need law and safety. They need family. And, and so every state we're going into, uh, in fact, here in, in North Texas, uh, when we started uh, moving, when we were moving down here about eight years ago, the head of child welfare stood in front of all these Assemblies of God uh, uh, pastors, hundreds of them. And this was her first word. She said, hey, church, you dropped the ball. You dropped the ball. The government is here to be law and protection. You're family, and we need your help. We need you to open your homes so that these children can find families. That's one of the pollutions. I think the other one in that government conversation is we've, we've posed the government as they're always the bad guy. And I get it, guys. Listen, media does a great job at, at telling the wrong things that child CPS here in Texas, I can say that here, CPS, that CPS does. They'll talk about this story. They'll talk about that story, all the bad things, but they don't talk about the thousands of adoptions, thousands of adoptions where child welfare 
uh, was victorious in helping a child either get back to their biological family, which we'll go there in just a second, or find a forever home uh, in, in one of your homes. Child welfare, I see them as heroes, and let me explain. For every child welfare worker that doesn't do their job right, I could find you a, a Christian who doesn't do their job correct, right? For every child welfare worker that hits the local news for doing something they shouldn't, I could find you a pastor who hit the local news for doing something he shouldn't. So the Bible tells us, and Jesus said, he is without sin, cast the first stone. I think if we drop our stones and we start looking to our child welfare and saying, hey guys, I hear you need families. And I think God might be calling us to do this. We could join hands together and try to help these kids. That's one of the other pollutions. I think another one that comes to mind, God, is, guys, is we've, we've got to this place where we just thought this was another ministry. It's just a tack on ministry. It's, it's a mandate. Like we don't talk about mandate a lot in the church for some reason. We talk about traditions and those are good. We talk about, you know, what grandpa's church did or this church has always done. And, you know, we've done this Bible program or this drama ministry, or we've done the greeters or we've done these programs. Most of those programs are not mandates. Orphan care is a mandate. So again, the question is not, are you going to do something, uh, but what, what are you going to do? Let me see, um, uh, let me pull this up here. There's three levels when it comes to distress I wanna just unpack for you guys, okay? Level one care, you guys are killing it. Pastor Jeff, I think you call it the orphan care closet, is that right? So when I say the question, what are you called to do? Because everybody's called to do something. You guys are killing it. I, I'm going to call her Pastor Melissa. She's probably going to hate me for saying that. So Pastor Melissa is killing it with this orphan care closet. Meaning when a family comes in uh, who wants to foster, adopt, get a placement, this orphan care closet helps meet like the tangible needs, the, the diapers, the beds, the, you know, the clothes, all the things that are like level one. We call that level one care. Okay. But some of you guys, God wants you to go a little bit deeper in what we call level two care where when it comes to helping them in their distress, some of you, everybody can do level one, okay? Provide, ask Melissa, we'll be talking to you. Hey, we need, we need some diapers, we need some beds, we need some stuff, that's level one care. Everybody can do that. Some of you are called to go a little bit deeper, a little bit deeper into what we call level two care. Level two care is simply where you would maybe like get a closer and discipleship type ministry. Maybe some of you, God, you're interested in fostering adoption, but you kind of want to wade into it, which is fine, which is normal. Um, excuse me, you need to become respite care providers. That's basically a babysitter for a fo local foster and adopt family. Because see, remember those, those foster adoption families are on the front lines, man. They're just, they're up against it 24 um, seven. A lot of, lot of PTSD going on with these kids. Uh, they've proven that. And then there's secondary trauma that can happen when you bring in a child. So with these, with these families that say, yes, they need a date night. They, they, they maybe need a, a little retreat with two nights away from the kids. And to do that, they need that level care support where some of you might, God might be calling you to become a licensed or become trained to be that respite provider or different programs that churches do like a um, addiction recovery or financial planning. These are all kinds of things at level two that you can help families. Level three would be that you open your home, that you open your home for a child that needs a home, okay? 
there's four main areas of foster care. The first one is family preservation. If I was preaching in here, I'd say everybody say family preservation. So just for the fun, everybody say family preservation. Thank you. I saw lips moving. That was great. So family preservation, guys, that is where we exercise the ministry of reconciliation. Because I think sometimes we think we're here to help the child and all those evil parents. Guys, those parents need the gospel of Jesus Christ and the kindness from the church just as much as the kids do. Okay. So we want the gospel to go all the way upstream where it is affecting uh, the biological families. Uh, that's level. That's like the first part of this continuum of care. In fact, I, I would, I would actually, let me uh, see if I can even find that guy. Um, but it goes all the way to sanctity of life. Let me, let me share this one just to kind of click, make this click here. All right, there we go. So right here, guys, <clears throat> sanctity of life is, is, is coming up in January where we talk about life begins in the womb. Um, the church understands that. The church understands um, what life is. But those two little green arrows, we, we are lines we forgot to about, about this space, right? So the bio family needs the gospel. We need more foster homes, which is just temporary care. I understand the heart. I just don't think I could give them back. If I'm honest, that's a little bit selfish because it's not about you, right? Uh, it's about the child. And, and we, we pick up and carry our cross in foster care and die to self, die to our wants, desires, and needs so that this child can have a healthy home for a temporary season foster care. Institutional care is what I was talking about in Houston, where some of these more extreme situations need help. Uh, adoption, that's permanency. That's where a child, the 4,000 need a home right here in, in Texas. And then transitional living or aging out. That's 20,000 kids in the U.S. age out of the system. 1,400 here in Texas age out of the system. Now watch what happens here, guys. If we don't take care of what's happening in that little zone right there, it feeds all the other things at the end of this line. Here's what I mean. The state of Texas determines a number of beds in prison on the number of kids in foster care. So I am for prison ministries that are sharing the gospel in prison. But guys, if we go upstream and help these kids who are in foster care, we actually reduce what's going on in prison, okay? Homelessness, they've done studies and homelessness is fed uh, by the foster care system. Pregnancy outside of wedlock, our teen life challenge programs, which is like addiction recoveries, residential addiction recoveries are being fed by the foster care system. And the zinger that I didn't know about, over 80% of kids who are being trafficked in the U.S. from the U.S. come from foster care. Did you hear that? Over 80% of the kids trafficked in the U.S. are coming from foster care. I had no idea, guys. I had no idea. Um, so that's what I mean uh, by trying to figure out what is, uh, what is your place in that? Helping the bio family, getting involved with foster care adoption or aging out. Listen, um, as I kind of bring this to a close here, I want to I wanna share a, a final story with you. Um, we were, you know, I said we had 90 days where there was no child waiting for an adoption, right? Uh, it was awesome. And then what happened was there was uh, these two little girls um, who uh, needed a home. We had permission uh, to, to share their picture to some churches in our area. <clears throat> you know, families is around this time. National Adoption Month is November. So I love it. I'm speaking uh, to your church here in National Adoption Month, <clears throat> where more adoptions happen this month than any month of the year throughout the, the land. Uh, 
churches, about a half a dozen churches got to show her these pictures and tell the story of these girls and their congregations in our county here. Uh, again, as the sovereignty of the Lord, those two little girls were chosen to be fostered by this family at our church at the Oaks right here in Red Oak, Texas. Um, this is already a, a, an adoption family. Uh, these two kiddos are their biological kiddos. And um, these two were adopted and the two precious little girls in the red shirts were just uh, being fostered at this time. Uh, around six or so months go on and I got to go into Tarrant County uh, right here to the courts down the road from you guys in Tarrant County and see this adoption being finalized. They could not do it without themselves. They had a, a group from the church, a group here from the state. These are all state and church people together in one courtroom raising their hands. And the judge actually said, who's gonna continue to support them after the adoption? Because it's one thing to support them during the fostering and the adoption process, but even to support them after the adoption. And all these people raised their hands and said, we will support them. And these kiddos are thriving. They're thriving in this home. Why is the church so poised for this? Guys, we're poised for this because we understand spiritual adoption, right? We get it. We were adopted uh, when we were unadoptable. I'm going to, in a minute, I'll let Pastor Jeff handle this, but guys, you would make my day. You'd make Pastor Jeff's day. I don't know who's on the call. I'm the new guy, right? I don't know how many of you guys are walking with the Lord. How many of you walked away from the Lord? But I'm here to tell you from Midlothian, Texas, on the other side of DFW, via this crazy platform of Zoom, that God loves you. He believes in you. He died on the cross. He gave his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross so that you could be adopted in his family. And if you feel like you have not been adopted or you've walked away from that adoption, please talk to Pastor Jeff and I. You'd make our day to help you be reintroduced to that adoption. Uh, remember the opportunity. Some of you guys are called to love a one, helping Melissa out with the orphan care um, closet right there. Some of you are called to go a little deeper with support services. And some of you are called to be welcome home. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you talk to Pastor Jeff on that. If that's something you're interested in doing, being involved in one of these levels of care, could be financially partnering, as he mentioned that at the beginning, that's level one care, uh, or level two or level three, please talk to him. Our team is ready and primed to connect you, especially at level three, with a local agency that would license you. We don't license people. We connect you to agencies that license uh, to do that. Last thing to share with you guys, bring awareness. Go follow us uh, on, on social media. Guys, these are all of our social media. It's, everything is Backyard Orphans. So on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, on, on all the platforms, we're just at Backyard Orphans. Please go, go find us, go follow us and bring awareness. Like go post and repost the different things that our team is putting out there to actually help you guys bring awareness. Continue to pray for us. You know, you guys have been a prayer partner with us for years, praying for our team. Um, <clears throat> you can sign up for our newsletter on our website where you'll see different things to be praying for, for our team. And then the last one, you guys have been financially partnering with us for years and years. And as I said, you guys, we cannot do this without your help. <clears throat> We're so grateful uh, for your partnership uh, with us. We love your church. You guys are awesome. Thanks for letting me hang with you uh, this morning. Thank you, Eric. And we're going to, uh, the one thing that I want, would like to kind of pick your brain on, and you, you already hit us with it, is kind of what steps we could take. Because obviously, I think everybody, your heart is moved by the stories you've told and the need that is presented today. And I think all of us can wrap our heads and our hearts around that, that there's, there's a great need out there and the church needs to do something. 
And I think the, the worst thing you could do is have that need and then not take a step, not, not do something, not move forward, because then you're just carrying a weight. And we don't want to carry the weight. We, by, by doing something, we can help carry someone else's weight and not just have a weight put on our backs. And so I don't think that was your intention at all. I know your heart. Your heart is not just to come here and make us feel guilty. Your, your heart is to come here and to move us to action. And so I think everybody, you know, just like giving, when we talk about giving, we talk about taking a step. We talk about moving forward. Everybody can move forward in that path of, of giving. If you've never given before, you can start to give. If you're an occasional giver, you can become a consistent giver. So we, we talk about that pathway all the time. And I think th that we can take that same mindset and move it into orphan care and say, we need to take a step along the pathway of orphan care and saying, hey, we can, if we've never done anything, we can start to do something. We can make a donation to the orphan care closet. So you know, go buy some diapers or go buy a stroller or go, you know, something that that can help out a family with a new placement. Uh, and if you guys are curious about that, Melissa is your contact person. She can help connect you. She can uh, get you plugged in. We need volunteers to help manage that uh, storage. We need volunteers to help go over there. And when somebody needs a uh, distribution of items that can help provide that. So there's ways for you to get plugged in there. And, and I love that uh, Eric mentioned this already. If you are curious about how to go through a certification process, whether that's for respite care, where you can provide that babysitting service and, and something, you know, those types of uh, support services for people in our church or in our community who need that, they will help connect us. They are there to resource us and to act as that bridge, that go-between between the church and these agencies that can resource us to do this, not only in a biblical way, we're going to handle that side, but in a legal way. And that's, that's the side that they provide. And so we can connect you with the right opportunities. If you're curious or if God kind of has pricked your heart today and you said, yeah, I need to step up and do that. Our family, God is calling us to do this. And the third thing is, if man, if God has challenged you today to pray about fostering, to pray about adopting and, and bringing a, another child into your house on a permanent basis, uh, we would love to not only pray with you about that, to not only connect you with Eric, but most importantly, to partner with you on the other side of that and to resource you. You're not going to do this alone. If God has called you, we are all here to support you in that. And so I think there's a lot of things we can do. And a lot of times we look at our church and we're like, oh, we don't have a building. We don't have land. We don't, you know, we're not even meeting in person right now. We're still not as big as that church down the road. And you kind of get this short man syndrome saying, oh, I, I just can't do it. I just want you to know there's a lot we can do in this area, our church right now. We're doing a lot already, but I think we can do more as we all take a step forward. So that's my challenge to you today based on what Eric has just said. And if I would like all of you to just commit with me to do one thing, and that is for the next 30 days or so, make this a regular part of your prayer life that every day you would bring this to God as you spend time reading the word. And we got one month to go on the through the Bible in a year. And, and man, kudos to those of you who have been with us on that journey. And I don't care if you've taken 11 months off, man, finish strong with us. Go to the last month and, and let's read the word together as we finish the year. But as you take time to read the word, you take time to pray. Would you take time to incorporate this need into your prayer time and saying, God, I recognize this is important. 
what do you want me to do? What do you want our family to do in this critical area of caring for the fatherless? And so uh, this is something that I'd like all of you to just commit to. And, I, and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands or any of that. But uh, if, if God has put this on your heart, and, and you know what, even if God hasn't put it on your heart yet, I'm challenging you as your pastor to pray about it anyway, uh, because uh, God can drive this into your heart over the next month as you pray about it. You'd be surprised at how your heart can change through prayer. And so let's pray about this together for the next month and ask, what can we do? What does God want me to do in this area? You say, hey, we are well past the age where we can take another kid into our home. That's fine. There's still a lot you can do. You guys would be great respite care providers. You guys would be great resourcers. There's things you can do. And God may challenge you outside of the box. He may hit you with something we haven't even talked about today. In fact, you came up, you may come up with a new plan between you and the Holy Spirit that Eric's going to say, that's brilliant. I'm going to take this to every church that I talk to uh, over the next year. And so let's just get creative and let's meet this need and let's eliminate this need in our area, in our community. And let's, uh, let's be part of doing that. So I'm going to close us in prayer and ask God to do that. And uh, just to reemphasize what Eric said, if, if God is challenging your heart, you're not living for him and, and, and you haven't yet discovered God's love as a father for you, man, please reach out to me. Y'all know how to reach out to me. I would love to pray with you. And I would love to uh, help you understand uh, how to take that next step in discovering God's love for you and living for him. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this time we've had together this morning. Thank you, God, for Eric and the entire Porter family and how you have called them to not only do this ministry, but to live this ministry by adopting and bringing kids into their home. God, it's been an amazing story to watch unfold. And I pray, first of all, that you would bless them. God, bless their ministry, bless their team. Uh, I continue to see their team grow and you're bringing new people alongside them with similar hearts and and they're reaching out now into states all across the country. God, continue to bless them and multiply their influence with, with the church. God, bless their influence with, with the government. Bless their influence with the, the, the agencies. God, I pray that you would uh, help them to see even more fruit produced from this. God, I pray that you would help our church as we uh, wrap our hearts around this mandate that you've given us to provide uh, for orphans. And Lord, I ask that you would help us to get creative, help us to continue to grow. Don't let us just rely on what we've done in the past, but God, let this continue to move forward. And God, I pray that you would challenge us over the next month from now until the end of the year, as we pray about this every day, as we pray about what we can do and what you're calling us to do. And Lord, I pray when you hit us with something, don't let us dismiss it. Don't let us say we're going to think about it. God, let us respond. Let us take action and let us see needs being met because our church is taking a step. Lord, we thank you for what you're about to do. We love you and, and we love the opportunity you have given us to partner. Uh, and we ask that you would continue to help us to, to do more as you call us to. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.